Jerome Bettis, one of the best running backs in NFL history, and now in the Hall of Fame's class of 2015. What does it mean to you to be inducted? This is a very, very elite group, and to know that you're part of that is pretty special. Though he started his career with the Rams, the bus found his home in Pittsburgh, gaining the affection of Steeler Nation. What's it like walking around with this guy around town here? He's the mayor. Jerome's the mayor. And ending his career there with a storybook win. It really changed how I felt about playing one more season. Football led Bettis down a better path while growing up in a crime-ridden Detroit neighborhood. He gave in to the temptations on the streets. Did you ever shoot yeah. at somebody? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Until a high school coach stepped in and gave him the perspective to change his life. And show me that, you know what? I can be a better person, a different person. All that's coming up right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. All right, so I actually I wanted to start off by talking about a sport that people who probably don't know you would never have any idea that you're associated with, and that's bowling. How was bowling a perfect score, a 300? That was, now that was I think, my biggest sports accomplishment. Uh, even, you know, winning the Super Bowl does not compare to a 300 game because really? you have to be perfect. You have to be literally perfect in order to have a 300 game, and it's, it's, it's rare. Uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, players that have never done it. And, you know, it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult feat, especially when you're not competitive regularly. You know, if you, if that's all you do, then yeah, you may have a couple 300 games, but because that's not all I, I was doing at the time, it was really significant for me. How do you get into bowling? Well, I got into bowling. Uh, my mom was was incredible in terms of her foresight to see that it was two young boys, myself and, and my older brother, and she was making a decision uh, that would impact us as we got older. We grew up in the inner city of Detroit, so she knew it was going to be a difficult environment for us growing up, and she wanted to really kind of take us out of that environment as much as she could. So she saw bowling as an opportunity to take us from the inner city neighborhood and put us into a very, very secure environment, you know, on Saturdays and Sundays. But it also opened our eyes that the world was bigger than just our neighborhood. Just, you know, those six or seven square blocks that you kind of really frequent when you're a kid. So we got a chance to go out, go to different cities uh, uh, in, in the state of Michigan. I also le left the state of Michigan. So we got a chance at a young age to kind of broaden our horizon. So it was, a, it was an incredible uh, idea as it turns out. But uh, at 14, uh, I had to make a decision, you know, was it going to be bowling or was it going to be football? And I think I made the right decision. Right, you were pulled <laughs> though for a while, right? I mean, you was well, it was I, initially. I, I was pulled. Tough, right? I was pulled because I didn't had never played football, uh, so I didn't play football growing up in you know little league. So this was going to be my first foray into football outside of 
neighborhood games that you play, you know, on the street uh, with your friends. Uh, so this was going to be the first organized right. football uh, activities. And so I didn't know if, if I would be any good. Right. And so I'm leaving a sport where I was really good. Um, you know, at 14, I was on a, a traveling team. Um, you know, as one of the best in the state of Michigan. So I was going all over the country For bowling. bowling right? And so I was, you know, arguably, you know, the, you know, up in the you know, top tier uh, in, in bowling. And then to go from that to go from starting a new sport at 14, 15, um, I, I was a little nervous. Right. So it was, you know, it was a big transition for me to leave all of that and then to go uh, into football. So it was, a, it was a leap of faith. So I want to run through some notable and some notable, some significant moments from okay. your career in no particular order and just get what comes to mind. Uh, the, the, the first one being Al Smith and the hardest hit you ever took. Oh man, Al Smith. We were playing, we were playing the Houston Oilers and it was my rookie year. And they they drew up a play. I'll never forget. They drew up the play. And you know, whenever you draw up a play, they say, okay, this guy blocks this guy, this guy blocks this guy. So really, you see everybody's blocked. So they drew up a goal line play. I'll never forget it. And and I think Ernie Zampezi, who was the offensive coordinator at the time, he draws up the play, and then he circles the backside linebacker. He says, this is your guy. And it's like, that's odd. He's unblocked, you know. It's like usually you block them all. That's the idea. And he's like, no, this guy's your guy. We, we're not going to be able to get to this guy. And I'm like, okay. And so he's so far away, you think, okay, well, he won't, he won't impact the play. So I get the ball, and by the time I, you know, I get it, boom, I'm, I mean, I'm hit, I hit the hole, and bam, I get in the end zone. But I promise you, as soon as I got in the end zone, I got ear by – that guy that was over there unblocked. And I got, I was, you know, I got what, up, what I was a little mean? ear hole me. I got hit in the ear hole of the helmet. <laughs> so when you say ear hole, that means literally ear hole to ear hole, a helmet, bang, right there. And that's a very vulnerable area on the helmet. So when you get hit there, it, 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 it you know, does some damage, so to speak. And so I got hit there and I was like out of it. Uh, for for a second, and then I thought to myself, "That's that unblocked guy. I know exactly who it is." And it, it turned out to be uh, Al Smith, and so that was one of my welcome to the NFL hits, uh, because at that point I realized that every player in the NFL is good, because that guy who I thought was unblocked and who was way over here and would not be in the play. The minute I hit the end zone, he was right there, and he was delivering a hit. So I had to to look at every single player uh, in a different light because um, they could they could change uh, change your life with one hit. So you had to be be conscious. You were drafted by the Rams. You're in the prime of your career, yet you reach a point where. You're ready to retire if that, as opposed to having to continue to play with the Rams. Explain what was going on there. Well, I had a, um, I had a situation. Uh, a new coach had come in uh, to the organization. His name is Rich Brooks. 
And he had just left University of Oregon. And so he came to be the head coach. Well, when he got there, we were having, you know, we were in, in the summer. It was OTAs, it, it, spring. And so we were having uh, practices. Uh, and so he asked that would all of the veteran players meet with them, so he had his veteran ten ten or so guys, and he he asked us if we would be willing to go to training camp early, so that he could implement the 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 offense and the defense because it was totally different than what we had been used to. So we all agreed, yes, we'd all come in. Well, <clears throat> what he didn't realize is that I was going through a contract uh, dispute with the organization. And when training camp time came, I had to hold out because I was still playing under a a um, rookie contract, and I had outplayed that contract two Pro Bowls and and and, and you know two thousand yard seasons. So it was it was clear that uh, I had outplayed and outperformed the contract. So I held out. When I came back to the team. The coach felt as though I lied to him because I told him that I would come early um, to training camp. But what he didn't realize is that it was a contract issue. It had nothing to do with him and his, my promise to him. And so he took a, he took that as uh, uh, an act of defiance against him. And so obviously we got off to a bad start in terms of how he felt uh, about me. So at that point, he really did everything he could to really – uh, kind of sabotage my my career at that point, and so by the end of the year, I was I was fed up, completely fed up, and I was ready for a change. And if they weren't going to give me the opportunity to go to another team, then I was ready to to uh, retire because the love for the game wasn't there, uh, and they gave me permission to to seek a trade, and that's when. Uh, the opportunity to come to Pittsburgh presented itself, and and uh, they allowed me uh, to to find the right landing spot, which was a great opportunity for me because I got to decide where I went. And usually in the trade, you don't get that opportunity. I was very fortunate in having that opportunity, and I was very fortunate that the Steelers. Uh, were in need of a running back as well, so it was a perfect, uh, perfect relationship. How was uh, playing the Rams that following November? What's that like for you? Oh, that was fun. That was fun. Was it? Um, it, it was fun on a, a, a number of different levels. Uh, one was the fact that you know they had released me and, and traded me, and, and and it was you know whenever you get traded, is that feeling that that they don't want me anymore. And uh, it still, it hurts because you're saying, okay, I got traded, I'm out of there. But you still, in the back of your mind, say, well, there was a team in the NFL that thought that I was not good enough to play for them. Uh, and they didn't want me. And so that always still kind of stuck in the back of my head. And so there was another statement uh, that the head coach had made that I was not a game breaker and I, you know, I couldn't change the outcome of the game in one play. 
And, I, you know, I took offense to that. And so in that game, which was uh, so it was like a vindication of sorts, I had a 50-yard run that I broke off for a touchdown and, and changed the game. And so, it, you know, the exact things that he said I couldn't do, I did against him. And that was that was the, the, the icing on the cake uh, for that. And we, we beat up on him pretty good. And it was a, it was a special a special you know, opportunity for me to play against him. And then I got a chance to get all of that anger out. And, you know, going forward from there, that baggage wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't with me anymore because I kind of got it out after that game. That Thanksgiving Day coin toss, was it you or was it the ref that messed up? Well, I mean, it's on tape, so. It's not one of those things that, that you you can you know you can fudge you you know you you hear what I said. Was um, it like head tails? No, it was it was tails, and so you know because at first you know I thought because I always called heads. I used to call the coin toss at the beginning of every game uh, when we were on the road. So I would always call heads. Well, this was the overtime because I had called heads the first time. So I said, you know what? Let me switch to tails. So I was like, tails. And for some reason, he heard the maybe the huh and said and, and kind of cut it off and assumed that it was heads. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm sitting there. I'm standing like, whoa, whoa. <clears throat> so wait, 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 wait. I, I said tails. Uh, and then the ref started kind of going on, uh, you know, about, you know, the sides of the field, who gets the ball. And then we're like, whoa, whoa, time out, whoa, no, no. No, <laughs> we won. We won. I said tails is tails. And he kept going. And Robert Porsche for the Lions, I mean, he's, he's looking at it. And he's looking at me, and he's like, Wow. So he so starts you laughing. Can see he knew. And I'm like, I'm like, and I point, he takes off running to the sideline uh, because they get the ball and ultimately they get the ball, they win the game. And uh, for my role in all that, I got fired from the coin toss. Coach Cower fired me. And so effectively that was the last time I called uh, a coin toss uh, in my career. So that was um, – Unfortunately, that was that was a, a terrible moment. Isn't that amazing that terrible. that can happen? That yeah. like you can say one thing. The I mean, there there have since been changes that have been made to yeah, there's the Jerome Bettis rule yeah. now that you have to call it before they even flip it uh, in the air to make sure that everybody knows what you're calling. So, yeah, it, it, it's not great to have a rule change in your name because you, <laughs> you know it was a screw up. That's not. That's not why you want the, 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 the rule change. You want the rule change to be because you were so dominant that they got to change the rule because you just kind of destroyed everybody. And so they got to change the rule to make, it, make the playing field even. Nah, not, not quite the case. Uh, January 24th, 2005. This is the day after your season unexpectedly ends. Uh, rather emotional moment for you. The season ending team meeting you asked to get up and speak to the team. What do you say? Yeah, at that point, um, I just wanted to thank the, the team because I knew that my career was over. And so I was ready to retire. 
And I, I, you know, I went to the coach. I said, Coach, can I address the team? Got up and pretty much just told the guys, you know, thank you for everything that you've done. I, I appreciate you guys. I couldn't ask for better teammates. You know, you guys laid it all on the line 110%. I just want to thank you uh, because, you know, that this was my last game. And, I mean, it was not a dry eye in the house. I mean, everybody was, was, was tearing up. I was tearing up. I mean, I was crying. I mean, it was just an emotional time because I felt that, you know, that was, that was enough. And that my career um, had really come to a close. And, you know, I had, I had come to the realization that possibly it wasn't in the cards for me to be a champion. But that was okay. And that, you know, I was comfortable with what I had done in my career and the success that I had had. And, and I had pushed myself all the way to the limit because I wanted to try to win a championship. And I was comfortable with, you know, my place in history at that point. And so. How challenging was it for you to get to that place personally where you were comfortable it, it, with you know, having it, never won the Super Bowl? It wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't a tough, it wasn't like a, you know, I, I, I like rolled over every night, you know, in the bed. I mean, I just felt it was time, you know, as a, as a, a professional athlete, you know when it's time. And so I felt it was time. I knew I could probably play, but, you know, I, I thought that, you know, it was, it was time. And it probably was a was an irrational decision because, you know, my my heart got just just got cut out the, the day before. Uh, we lost a tough game that we felt we we could have won and should have won. Um, and so that was you know that was the frustrating part uh, about it. And after that, Coach Coward told me, "Hey, don't make such a harsh, rash decision." Right now, he said, give us some time, think about it. And about two days later, was it two days? Yeah, two days later, um, my first child was born. And it took my mind totally away from, from football. And, you know, I was saying to myself, you know, this is the next chapter of my life in, in terms of I'm done with football now I'm moving on to family life and I got a phone call uh, that week and uh, that next week actually for the Super the Super Bowl had been played and running back had broke his ribs and that I was the first alternate for the Pro Bowl so I talked to my wife and asked her well you know what did she think I, I told them no on the phone my daughter was was uh, you know just getting home? Uh, uh, my wife said, "Well, listen, if you are done, this would be a great way to finish your career, as opposed to having having that that bitter taste in your mouth of a loss, of an AFC Championship game defeat, as the final game of your career. Go out to the Pro Bowl, and and end on a positive note. And so I decided to go out to the Pro Bowl. What I didn't think about was that our team which had just finished the regular season 15 and 1 we had like seven other pro bowlers on that team 
So I made eight, and all of those players brought some teammates with them. So we had about 15 or 18 players from the team there, and because we had lost in the AFC Championship game, the coaches were the heck were the coaches for the Pro Bowl. So now all of a sudden I've got about 20 teammates there. I got the entire coaching staff there, and I got our ownership there. So uh, the Rooney's put together a Steelers dinner, and I'll never forget it. We were at this Steelers dinner, and Clark Hagens comes to me and says, "Man, it's going to be a shame." that we're going to win the Super Bowl next year without you in Detroit, your hometown. I said, oh, man, because I had never really thought about the next year and definitely didn't think about where the Super Bowl was. And when he said the Super Bowl is in Detroit next year, I said, oh, man, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be a streaker because I'm going to be on the field if they play in the Super Bowl in Detroit. (laughs) I'm going to find a way to be on that field, you know. And so I'm saying to myself, man, this is something, something's got to give. And that's the moment I started to think about going back and playing another season. And thankfully, Clark Hagen said that because it really changed my mind and how I felt about playing one more season. And as it turns out, you won the Super Bowl. Can you imagine, though, I know you said you were at peace with it at that point, you know, potentially ending your career without uh, having won a Super Bowl. Can you imagine if the year after the team won? I don't think you would have been at Pisa. That would have been rough to handle. Would that, it? No, that okay. would have been devastating. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan of entrepreneurs, and you got your start at an early age in the fifth grade selling candy, didn't you? Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. So, yeah, I was. Um, so, how did you get into the business? <laughs> um, how did I get into the business? Um, what, what what I used to do. <laughs> this was uh, a long time ago. Um, I was. I always had an entrepreneurial spirit about myself, and I saw an opportunity, um, <laughs> and I took it. And the opportunity was to sell candy at the school I was attending. The problem was I didn't have the money for the initial startup capital to get my product. So I had to go to plan B. So if I can't buy it, I had to steal it. So I, I on a trip to the grocery store, um, I decided to get some slippery fingers and I confiscated a lot of product, I'll say, and my my storefront was open at that point. Um, uh, so I started selling all kind of candies and gum and I I I, I, brought, I took my one of my father's old suitcases that was in the basement. I cleaned it up, right? And all, I put all the product, all the candy in there. It's product, because I was a businessman. Product. So I put all that, so I would start, I started carrying this briefcase to, to school every day, and everybody's like, what? Does, why are you carrying a briefcase to school? And so I, I'm a businessman, you know, I got a briefcase. And so everybody thought, oh, that's so cute. He's carrying a briefcase. He wants to be like his dad. <laughs> but they didn't know 
that I had the product in the briefcase and I was open for business. Um, and so it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was very, very lucrative until the principal found out. Well, but, and that was because you took on a partner and then you found yeah. out you had a competitor. I took on a partner, oh man, I took on a partner because things were starting to go very well and I couldn't be at two places at one time. So I needed help because, you know, you, you gotta expand at some point when you're doing well. But at the minute that I expand, you, you become a little vulnerable when you expand because now your product is cut in half, you don't have as much on hand, you don't have the varieties. So you, you're kind of vulnerable a little bit. So another guy came into the marketplace and I'm saying to myself, whoa! And obviously he had some variety, he was a new guy on the block, and I'm saying to myself, uh-uh, he's cutting into my <laughs> cash flow here. So I said, we have got to put him out of business. And my partner, took it literally when I said we have to put him out of business and he actually took him out of business literally he stole all of his product and and I, I don't I don't remember giving him the cold red to take all the product uh, but he did and it came back on us and the principal reached out to my parents and things got really bad. How would you describe the area you grew up? It was rough. I mean, you know, we had crack houses, you know, on the block, you know, and so, you know, with crack houses, you got dope fiends, you know, walking around, you got, it, it was, it was, you know, it, it was a, a rough environment and, but, you know, you didn't have to let it define you. Uh, as a person, so you understood it. You you tried to avoid as best you could, but you know when you're young, uh, you know you you do stupid stuff and 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 you you know you make those mistakes and you hope that they don't impact you for the rest of your life. But I was fortunate, uh, and my brother, because we you know our parents were really you know kind of you know watching us uh, and really making sure that we kind of was doing, trying to do the right things and avoiding uh, some of those pitfalls. So we, we had parents that, that were very, very involved in us, uh, in our development and growing up. And that was, you know, that was a huge benefit. Right, they were present. They were they present. They were loving they were and caring. Yeah, exactly. Um, just to give context to the, your neighborhood, I think the like sweet old lady's house that was right next to yours when she passed away, I believe that turned into a crack yeah, house. Yeah. Then the house on the other side of you, same thing, right? Same By thing. the time you went yeah, to college. Yeah, same thing. It was, you know, the, the neighborhood was was transforming, and when she when she passed away, um, just you know, they they rented the house out. Next thing you know, the houses went down and down, and and it went from them renting it out until the point where they kind of just kind of abandoned it, and that's when uh, it became a crack house, and it was just downhill from there. Uh, so everybody kind of kept kept their distance. Your brother, as when I was talking to him, um, <coughs> says that I mean the two of you were literally selling crack. Mm -hmm. 
Why do you think, what was the mindset at the time? The mindset, the mindset was, you know, we're in this, we're in, we're in the hood, <clears throat> you know, mom and dad, they're working their butts off, you know, there's no money around. <clears throat> we need to make some money. So we said, you know what, you know, let's, let's give it a shot. And uh, it, it was one of those moments that you, you regret. Uh, but at the moment, that was, that was the only thing that was really available to us. Uh, and that was, that, you know, that's the disheartening part uh, of it all was that, you know, here, here you had, you know, two young, young, young men and this was the opportunity that was available. And so we took it and, um, and we did it and we, you know, we sold drugs and it was, it, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the success that we thought it could be because we weren't, uh, I think we, we weren't as aggressive as you have to be uh, in that business. And, and I mean, you gotta, you gotta be mean and mean spirited, I believe. And that, that part, what really wasn't there. And so um, we did it, but uh, we quickly realized that that wasn't, that wasn't the path for us. Right, and it's interesting to talk to you about because obviously that was a, um, a pivotal part of your life that you know, shaped you and you've ended up having a, a great deal of uh, su success now. Um, you mentioned not you know, kind of being uh, aggressive in that way, but you have to carry guns, right? Yeah, yeah. had guns, shot at people, those kind of things, because that's the nature of the business. Uh, because you know, you've got competitors and you know they want to take you out of business as well. Uh, they want all of the business for themselves. Did and, you ever and, shoot and at that, somebody? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. And so it was. That's just. That was part of. That was part of growing up in 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 our environment in our neighborhood. That was. That wasn't out of the realm of normal. Uh, and 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 it, when you when you go back, it's nothing that that I ever wanted to glorify, because I know. Yeah, in retrospect, that was, you know it was awful. Um, here you are in a, in a position to take someone's life, and that's not that's never a good thing. And so, you know, as I look back on it now, I always see that you know th the wrongs that that are in it, and never want to bring light to it in in that respect that it was a a, a good thing. It was you know it was the worst thing I could have ever done. Right. It was a bad decision. Uh, but it was this, the decision that, that I made and that I lived with um, at that moment. I believe there was a moment when you were being shot at where one of your friends ends up having his bicep, his bicep blown, blown off, off yeah. that that was kind of the moment where yeah. you said enough that was, was enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. What went on there? We were all there, we were, we were hanging out, and next thing you know, you know, some guys kind of pull out on, you know, step out on us and, you know, guys start shooting. I mean, we took off. We're, we're, and then we're going through, there's a busy intersection. I mean, we run straight through the busy intersection, not even caring if cars are coming or not, uh, not caring if we're going to get hit by, you know, a car going 40 miles an hour. But it was just that fear of those uh, gunshots 
that we, you know, we took off right through uh, traffic and everything. And um, and later found out one of one of our, our our partners got shot, and his he got shot in the arm. His bicep was was blown off, and so it was just that was one of those moments. You're like, whoa, you know, hey guys, this is this is really serious, uh, and this is life and death. And is there another alternative? What do you recall from when your mom confronts you that your high school coach told her you were selling drugs? I, I, I mean, I'll never forget my high school coach came and sat down in, in the living room. I'll never forget, I'm sitting there. And he says that, you know, I've got word that Jerome Bettis is, you know, he's selling drugs, he's got so much potential. I think he can be a great uh, football player and, you know, I, I want the best for him. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he actually said that. And so after that, I, you know, I, I realized that was kind of the wake up call for me uh, because I knew, um, I thought that I was pretty good, but I didn't think it, I didn't think it was, I was that good. Mm -hmm. So when he said, hey, you know, I've, I've coached guys that, that are playing in the NFL right now, you know, I coach Pro Bowl players, it, it hit me. I said, okay, well, maybe I could do that, you know? And so I, that moment really affected my life and, and helped me and show me that, you know what, I can be uh, a better person, a different person, and I can be a successful person. And, and it really helped guide me uh, down a different path. I, I would imagine one of the upsides of having been in that neighborhood growing up is it allows you to have perspective. And, you know, additionally, since you've become really successful, you've gone back, done work in the community, done a lot of positive things. My guess would be one of the downsides is, you know, with having grown up in that neighborhood, there are people who, you know, aren't involved with the best stuff who can still get access to you because you know people there. And I guess it all came to a head. Your brother told me when, uh, yeah, at one point, one of the guys from the neighborhood says to your brother, you know, if we kidnap your kids, that being your brother's kids, would Jerome pay? How did you handle it? Uh, you know, I, and initially I thought, okay, well, bring it, game on. Really? And, and so it was like, you know, the, I mean, the competitive side of me said, all right, if that's what we need to do, then we need to, I, I need to revert back to my old ways, and then if I need to carry a gun, then I need to do that. And and then it hit me like, whoa, 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 whoa that you cannot think that way. But when it's talking about your family, then you know, the defense mechanism jumps in immediately. Wait, wait a minute. What? You're going to kidnap? What? And so you immediately meet the aggression with aggression. And then you think about it and you say, that you, you can't, you can't do that. I can't walk around carrying a gun. Um, and so you, you quickly realize that, you know what? You have to divorce yourself from that situation. You have to remove yourself from that and not allow that to be able to come into fruition. And I think you and your brother actually end up sitting down with the guy. Uh, take me into the room and what that discussion's like. Well, it, it, was, <clears throat> it, was, it was explaining to him 
what, it was explaining to him what that actually means. Because, you know, you don't, sometimes, you know, guys say things and they don't understand the significance of them. Especially, you know, when you're, when you're in a different environment, okay? Well, I do. And I understand how significant that is. And so my brother as well, he understands how significant that is. And that, that's not a joke. It's not funny. Uh, and so we had to explain to him, do you understand really what that means? Uh, and so, and, and once, you know, he understood it and he's, oh, I'm, you know, he didn't, <clears throat> didn't mean that, <clears throat> didn't mean that, but you said it and it was a thought. <clears throat> and if you think it, then maybe somebody else thinks it. And so, you know, you had to explain to him as a friend, because we were friends, uh, that those are very, very serious words and words that can cause a different effect. You know, you got to understand that. So once, once we, we had a, you know, under, uh, understanding of what that all meant, then we were able to get past that. How hard did your parents have to work growing up to support you and your family? Oh, they, I mean, my dad worked two jobs. My mom, you know, she worked, you know, uh, at a bank. I mean, they, they, they worked, they did everything they could. And, you know, it was, it was one of those, it's one of those deals where they, they did everything they could, you know, but obviously it was difficult. It was three kids at home. And so they were trying to, to raise us, also help put money away for, for college and all those things. So I knew that it was going to be difficult for me to get to college. And that was why at 15, I decided to play football because I wanted to give myself the best chance of getting a scholarship because I knew with the older brother, older sister, that probably wouldn't be a lot of cash around for me to go to school because I was the last one. So it, it, you know, being the baby is good for some things, bad for other things. And so I knew that financially, uh, me being a third in line was not a good thing. And so I knew that I needed to, to do some things to help, uh, help my parents because, you know, they were doing uh, the best they could. Your parents, though, still were able to put you in uh, private school, focused on education. What did that teach you early on about responsibility and planning for your future? Well, you know, it, it didn't really teach me about planning for my future, but it did teach me about responsibility and hard work um, and a commitment because you know, I saw my dad go to work, you know, every day. I mean, he left at six in the morning, 6.30, because he had to get on the bus and go down and to go down. And, and because at, well, at one point there was only one car in the house. So, so then when there was two cars in the house, but he still left, you know, seven, seven, seven thirty. He didn't come home till nine, nine thirty, uh, every day. And, and then there was some days, you know, he didn't have, he didn't have to teach night school. And it was, you understood the sacrifice that he was making and 
that's what that's what helped me develop the work ethic that I have because I was able to see uh, what what this man was doing for his family. And so now, as a father, I get it. I I understand. I, I totally get it. You know, I was thankful as a as a child, uh, but as a father now, I totally understand and appreciate him even that much more uh, because of the sacrifices that he made uh, for his family. That was, you know, that was, it was awesome because he worked his butt, he worked his butt off for us. And my mother did the same thing. And it was, you take it for granted, you know, when you're 13, 14, you you take it for granted. But now um, you appreciate it even that much more. You partly get into sports because you view it as a good opportunity to potentially get a scholarship. When did you start to kind of realize that you were really good at football? After my junior year, I knew I said, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good. But I only thought that in terms of a high school football player having the opportunity to go to college. I didn't even think that I was good enough to play in the NFL. That, that was not even a thought at all. There was The thought was, okay, maybe if I continue, if I play great my senior year, I will I'll go to one of the best colleges because I was starting to get mail from colleges. Mm-hmm. You know, good junior year, we're going to be watching you, that kind of thing. Not, we want you to come to our school. It was, you know, you're on our radar screen, so to speak. Notre Dame head coach Lou Holtz stops by your parents' house to visit you. What do you remember from that? I decided between Michigan and Notre Dame, and it was, and it started, I mean, and it was all because of this trip when Coach Holtz came in to Detroit and visited. Uh, and, you know, he just, you know, he was great uh, with, with the parent, with my parents, great with me. And, you know, he talked about, you know, what it was like in Notre Dame and, and, and the offense, how, how successful I would be in this offense and all that. And, uh, you know, I heard all of that, but I had taken a trip to Notre Dame and Rodney Culver, who was the running back, who was there, who was from Detroit, who was, who has since passed away. And, and, and uh, uh, he had told me, get the ability to tape your shoes you know, get it in the deal, right? And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that. So my all my whole mind was thinking, tape your shoes. Get coach to allow you to tape your shoes, right? Because that was like a big deal. Like when I was in high school, we taped our shoes and everything. We call it spat. We would spat our shoes, and so our colors were blue and gray and blue and white. So I had blue shoes, and I would tape them all white, and I would have the blue tips of the shoe showing, you know. And so that was kind of like the cool thing to do because they were doing it in college. And so, so I was like, so like it was the moment of truth came and I was like, and he coach was like, okay, well, you know, he went to his spiel and was talking to my mom and dad and everybody. And then he came to me and says, well, Jerome, um, what are you thinking? You know, and I just, I was like, this is my moment. You know, (laughs) I said, well, coach, if I could, I mean, I would love to come there, you know, if I could take my shoes. He's like, what? (laughs) And so he, he said, he's like, huh? He, 
he like watched some more of the highlight tape, and he's like, uh, "What'd your parents you say?" Know? They when were like, you look, "Well, they didn't that. know what it was." They're like, "You know, they thought it was stupid." Like, right. "What are you at?" And so, as a, but as it turns out, it was the best thing I could have ever done because when I got there, uh, I'll never forget. I get there, my one of my first practices. Everybody's got tape on the shoes, all the all the older players and everything, and he. And he makes everybody take the tape off their shoes. And I'm saying, he lied to me. I don't believe this. I got this in my deal. He lied to me. And so after the practice, he came, he kind of rolled up on his card and says, all right, Jerome, you can put tape on your shoes tomorrow. Right? And so it was just kind of like, yeah. So <laughs> it, it turned out to be a, a good call. But at the time, my mom and dad were like, "That's what? What are you? And so... Uh, it was a great trip, and the fact that he came to my home made that decision easy for me to then go to Notre Dame. How well do you recall when he makes you stand up in front of your teammates and pretty publicly and unnecessarily humiliates you questioning um, like your trustworthiness and your commitment? Oh, I, I mean, I, I remember it because it was, you know, it was it was in that moment where I was, I mean, I'm so embarrassed. Obviously, he calls me out in front of the entire team, but it humbled me, too, because this was the moment where that season, my sophomore season, I was, you know, they were starting to talk about me as being this big deal. They put me on the cover of that year's book uh, talking about the team. And so I was like, yeah, this is it, right? I have arrived. One of the first practices, he called me out, and he was just like, he couldn't believe that, that you know, this guy thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. And I'm thinking, I'm saying to myself, oh, my God. Who is this guy? And he, and he said, this guy, he's going to cost us a national championship. And so everybody's like, what? He's going to cost us to lose a national championship? So everybody's looking around like, what? what? Where's this guy at? And so that's when it was kind of like, uh-oh. So I'm doing the same thing, though. I'm looking around. Wondering said, who's talking he about He said, Jerome better stand up. And I was just like, oh. I was crushed. I was just like, so all eyeballs on me. It's like 120 guys looking at me like, oh, really? You going to cost us a championship? And I'm like, and so... Afterwards, you know, he get practice going. And it was just, I'll never forget the hardest practice I ever had. I mean, guys trying to tackle me to the ground, hitting me all over the place. I mean, I'm running as fast as I ever could to try to get away from guys. I mean, it was just one of those practices. And he comes up to me after practice and he says, okay, you know, just wanted to motivate you. <laughs> and it was just like, what? But that was his way. What did you say, or did you say anything? Uh, you can't say that? nothing. Okay. I mean, right, like, huh? Right. So you look at him crazy, like, what are you? But you know, and he drove off, and it was just kind of like, wow. But you know, that that was his way of humbling me, and it worked because I knew at that point I got to work my butt off, and uh, that's what I did. The year two thousand. Explain how you used your pretty good acting skills 
to cover up a long time injury and present and prevent yourself from potentially being released? Well, it actually, you know, into, it wasn't a long time injury. I had went in from like the season. I, no, it was it was I, I was trained. I, yeah, but from the season before, it was it it was sore. And then when I started heavy training for the season. Uh, it got it got worse. So I get to training camp, and the question is now: Do I tell him my knee is banged up? So I had um, I made a decision. I said, Well, I've got to find a way to have this issue take place on the field, so it becomes a football-related injury. And so we started practice. So the first day or two, I just didn't see it a good opportunity. I, I, so I just kind of fought through it. So I think it was like the, 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 the second day of pads or whatever. And we had a, um, we had a um, live goal line. So I said, okay, it's now or never. This is it. You know, it's live. It, we, I'm going to go in there. They're going to be hitting me. This is the perfect time. So I go in there, boom, 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 boom. Oh! So I go, ah! <laughs> I, 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 I get my, my Oscar-worthy performance. Oh, oh, oh. I feel something pop. They're like, oh, whoa, okay, we got to check, we got to check. So I went in to get an MRI, and they check it all out, and, and it's exactly as the doctor in, in the offseason told me what it was. And so I knew it was the meniscus on there, and so they gave me the option. They said, well, you can play through it, or you can have surgery. And I knew if I had surgery, I would be giving the other player an opportunity to play more which is the last thing you want to do when you want to stay on the football field and show them why they need to keep you around. So I'd made the decision that I was just going to gut it out the entire season. And so as it turns out, it was, it was, a, it was a smart move because that season, I ended up having a really good season on one leg. And then I had surgery in the off season and I had an even bigger year the next year. What did the doctor have to do with painkillers when you broke three ribs? Well, when I broke the three ribs, I think that was probably, when I look back on it, the, the most painful time in my entire career because I had to, I had to get a numbing shot in there. And the problem with the ribs was they numb it where the break is. So if the break is here, they literally have to put the numbing solution in the break, which sometimes means touching that bone that's broken. That's, you know, that's really painful. So, but imagine having three. So now they got to do that three separate times. And, you know, it was, it was up under here, so they didn't want to maybe puncture my lungs or anything. So you have to be dead still. So they tap, they tap the bone until they find where the break is. And you know how they know it's a break? Because you say, ah, you go crazy because it's broken. So they had literally go in, they tap my bone until they find it and I start screaming, but I can't move. Because if I move, I may puncture my lung because it's needle, needle in there. So I am, it is the most painful thing in the world and they had to do it all three and then they have to do it before every game, and it was, that was the most painful uh, deal I ever had.
You guys had a conversation, you and your brother, about just the lasting impact of head injuries in the NFL. What did you guys talk about? Well, just, just you know, talked about the reality of, of the sport, you know, that you play this game for a long period of time and that you're going to take some, some, some knocks and some hits to the head and, and you hope that, you know, 20 years from now, um, you can remember everything that, that has happened in your life. And so, you know, it's that, it's that strange place of, of not knowing. And, you know, he asked me, did I have any bouts with depression or anything like that? Just kind of get a feel for what I was going through. Um, but I, I haven't, and I've been very fortunate in that regard that it hasn't been, um, you know, the negative things that's associated with uh, the traumas to the head. How concerned are you long-term? I'm concerned, I, absolutely I'm concerned. I think that's the biggest concern because I play running back and so I was constantly banging, 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 uh, whereas maybe the quarterback, you know, he's not getting hit as much uh, in the head, whereas, you know, I'm getting in the hit in the head, you know, quite a bit uh, through the course of my career. So. For me, the mental health issue is one that I'm, I'm, I'm very conscious about. In the remaining moments, uh, the Hall of Fame, what does it mean to you to be inducted? It, it, it means that my career was, was such that people deem it worthy of Hall of Fame stature, and that's, that's big. And, and I'll say this, in the years that I have set out and, and not made it into the Hall of Fame, it's given me a better perspective of what it means to be a Hall of Famer, to be in the Hall of Fame, to have had a career that warrants that. Um, so for me, it's, it's an incredible honor uh, that I appreciate so much because I understand uh, the significance of what it means to be a Hall of Famer. So I am, I'm so proud that, you know, the voters felt that my career was worthy uh, of being in the Hall of Fame because it's a very, very elite uh, group. To know that you're part of that is pretty special. You and your mom spoke on the phone shortly after the announcement. What was discussed? It, nothing. And I told her, Mom, you, you know, your son is a Hall of Famer, and that was it. I was, I was crying, she was crying, that was it. It was just one of those moments. Because she's been on this ride with me uh, my entire career. She used to park outside of the field when I was in high school. And she used to watch the practices from the car because she was always wanting to make sure that I was gonna be okay. So, I mean, it, it went that far, where she would be outside watching practice uh, to the point where she watched every game I played. So she's, she's been there the entire ride. So for her to, to get the news from me, I, I, it, was, it was special because I, I knew that it, it was as much her as me because she's been there right with me every step of the way. Your love and affection for your dad, in addition to your mom, is obviously clear. Uh, he, he passed away, and he used to say how much he, loved, he would love to have the opportunity 
to introduce you before you would walk on stage for your Hall of Fame speech in Canton. How much do you think that would have meant to him to have been it able to do it? That had been big. That had been so big. Because he, he always thought the best. Whereas, you know, you ask him, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's definitely going to be in the Hall of Fame. Where you ask me, I'll be like, I don't know, you know? Or you ask my mom, she's like, ah, we don't, we don't know, we don't, who cares? You know, it's about now. Where he was the only one, like, thinking in those terms. Uh, and so for this to happen, I mean, it would have been, it would have been incredible for him because he was kind of, you know, the one that was, was kind of leading that charge years ago. And when we weren't even thinking about the Hall of Fame, you know, he was, he was saying, he wanted to speak it into existence. And so for, 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 for me to get in and him to have presented me in, that would have been it. That would have been the crowning achievement for him. That, that would have been the absolute best. Well, you've had a fascinating life for certainly an inspiration, well-deserved success, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. No problem at all. Thanks. Thanks for listening to my interview with Jerome Bettis. To see me try my hand in the kitchen at Bettis' restaurant, visit youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger, and visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.